0: Welcome to the Inside Aesthetics podcast. Our mission is to strip away the myths and hype that often surround the aesthetics industry. Inside Aesthetics aims to get to the bottom of the important topics that concern medical and allied health professionals, as well as the consumers themselves. We'll be showcasing the thoughts and experiences of experts in their respective fields. Each podcast will focus on a specialty, including surgery, non-surgical procedures, nutrition,
1: well-being, and business knowledge from the personalities that have helped shape our industry. This podcast and its related publications provide news and general educational information about cosmetic procedures and well-being. It does not promote or endorse any cosmetic procedure, brand, or product. You should seek professional medical assessment before considering any treatment. Our guest today is Fiona Tuck. Fiona has over 25 years of experience in the professional skincare and wellness industry, known in the media as the Mythbuster. Fiona is an author, nutritional medicine practitioner, skincare expert, member of the British Dermatological Nursing Group and an accredited member of the Australian Traditional Medicine Society. Fiona has a wealth of experience within the professional skincare industry, which includes working as the international training manager for Dermalogica, corporate trainer for Aspect and Cosmetics Cosmeceuticals, Managing Director of Skinstitute and founder of Vitasol. Fiona hosts a fortnightly podcast called The Forensic Nutritionist and her in-depth knowledge and insight into future trends within the wellness industry has made her a sought-after media commentator and one of Australia's most televised nutrition and skin experts. Hello again, Fiona. How are you? It's our resident nutritionist back in the house. Yeah,
2: I'm back. I'm back, aren't you lucky? It's your lucky well, day. Well, it's been,
1: what, we've done 30 two, one. 31 this, episodes, yeah. and you were the first. You were
0: first. I was so the very first. Yeah, so first you're back was, the I was the virgin. <laughs> Didn't go too badly, did it? Apart from when David forgot to press record and we had to start again. <laughs> That's right. have to be honest,
2: I can't even remember what was I'm never going to let you forget that. Jake little
1: likes little. to keep bringing up stories from the past. Baldness <laughs> and other stuff. <laughs> So we have got about a thousand things to talk to Fiona about today. So we're going to squeeze in as much as we can because the world of nutrition is always changing. And Fiona's also doing her own podcast now. I am. What's it called?
2: It's called The Forensic Nutritionist. So it's all about nutrition and gut health and skin as well. So the three things, how they combine.
1: And that's on um, Apple Podcast Playlist, Spotify, all the, all the good it is. regular places. Yep. Yep. And
2: on my website as well. So it's good. We've had some really great chats on there and experts. So I interview different experts in their field in that area. And yeah. Um, yeah, really interesting. So a couple more to go till the end of the year and then we're starting up next year as well.
0: How frequently do you do them?
2: Every one to two weeks.
1: Okay, cool. So people can afford to new content every week or two. Yeah. So if anyone wants to hear more about Fiona and get, um, I guess, do a deep dive into nutrition, they should check out your podcast.
2: Yeah, they're more educational. So trying to so for those people that want that really juicy information that they may not be able to find online, or they want to, you know, find out fact from fiction, then that's what my podcast is all about.
0: I feel like we're scraping the surface in an hour compared to your podcast, but. Anyway, um, so the focus today is sort of nutrition and skin. Hmm. Where do you want to start?
2: <laughs> oh, we, we could literally be here for weeks of so much to talk about.
1: Well, why don't we start with like what's new since we spoke to you last or what of what's what are people talking about at the moment? What are the, I guess, the hot topics?
2: Oh, look, I think with skin and nutrition, it is something that people are becoming more aware of now, which is really exciting Traditionally, I guess, in skincare, it was all about topical skincare and topical treatments. And really, that's where we we left it. So it was all about the latest and biggest and best ingredient or, you know, best form of retinol or retinaldehyde or what we could use to really sort of maximize the results on the skin. But now what we're actually doing is looking at internal nutritional support and what we're putting into our bodies and how that's affecting our skin, because we know now much more about gut health and the microbiome biota and the microbiome whatever you want to call it and how that even affects the skin but now as well we're looking at the skin microbiome so that's kind of the new talk in skincare it's not so much about destroying the skin. At one point, it was all about trauma and wound healing to create more collagen and to improve the skin. Now, we're looking at what can we do to maintain the actual microbiome of the skin? Because if we've got the microbiome of the gut and when we've got bacteria, we've also got trillions of bacteria on the skin. So, If we disrupt that by these topical treatments, then we could actually be potentially causing more skin irritation or sensitivity and potentially even premature aging. So that's something to think about.
0: Do you just want to uh, define the microbiome for people who might have missed your first episode? What is it and, and how are we influencing that with our lifestyle?
2: So when we're talking about the gut microbiome, we're talking about basically the bacteria that reside in the gut. So we've got trillions of bacteria. Most of them are beneficial bacteria. So they have a benefit, beneficial effect to our health and wellbeing. But we do also have potentially pathogenic bacteria. So if that diversity of bacteria or that balance of bacteria becomes out of whack if you like, then the pathogenic bacteria can grow and multiply and that's when we can start to see problems occurring. So that might be increased inflammation, it may be problems with gut health or it may actually be um, something that can lead to chronic disease. Mm. So we now know that if the bacteria isn't right in our gut, that can actually lead to actual Disease manifesting within the body. So, we know that the gut really does affect pretty much everything. It can affect our mood. It can affect, well, part of the gut, you know, we've got that gut immune interface. So, our immune system really is a lot of that 70 to 80% resides in the gut. So, that will be affected by the health of our gut as yeah. well. So, If we don't take care of the gut and we don't sort of look after those little microbes living in the gut, then long term we can see negative health effects.
0: I remember watching a show... I can't remember the name of the doctor. It was a British, I think it was a BBC show. it was really anecdotal. It's not great science, but it illustrated the point that you were just saying where I think he did something like he ate a normal healthy balanced diet for, you know, as he normally did. And then he deliberately ate McDonald's for two weeks and he measured the bacteria in his stool. And exactly as you said, things were completely out of whack because he wasn't taking, you know, fresh fruit and uh vegetables etc and varying his diet he was just eating potato and meat effectively um yeah it's just interesting so that's kind of a, a nice little analogy well, of what you're the saying well
2: that's the thing i think the latest statistics are 96% of australians are not eating the recommended amount of vegetables. We now know that we need to be eating at least 30 different types of plant based foods a week to maximize the gut flora diversity. And we know that it's the diversity of the gut bacteria that is so important for our health and well being. So if we are eating a diet that's low in plant based foods, fresh fruits, and fresh vegetables, then we're not going to be feeding the beneficial bacteria. And that's when that pathogenic bacteria can get out of whack. And of course, then looking at people that are eating a lot of processed foods And a lot of even healthy foods are actually highly processed and have additives added to them. And many of these additives are actually detrimental to the gut bacteria. Mm. So even just something like a slice of bread, if it's got these emulsifiers in, it can be really disrupting to the gut microbiome. So if you're having a lot of these foods, I really do believe this is why we're seeing more allergies and, and sickness occurring, because we're living off processed food with all these Additives, and then of course things like pesticides. We were worried about pesticides, and a lot of people are worried about them with potential sort of cancer issues. But if we look at what pesticides are doing, they're destroying bacteria and um, living organisms. So, of course, what is that then doing to our gut microbiome? It can go even you know deeper than that. So, I think the more we can stick to real food, and the less additives we can put into our body, the more beneficial it's going to be for our microbiome and overall health and well-being. Yeah.
1: Mm. I think it's even for someone that's relatively aware of, of good diet, I even find myself falling into routines where I eat the same foods. You have your sort of favorite recipes or go-to foods and we, I sort of have to make a conscious effort to actually try Things that I haven't eaten before, or look for vegetables that I normally don't eat, um, to just try and get the diversity. So it, it is exactly, yeah.
2: it's about diversity: trying a new fruit every week or a new vegetable, um, getting creative, and, and you know, just mixing it up and yeah. trying to get as, as much diversity as possible.
0: When you said thirty plants and vegetables a week, do you mean thirty portions?
2: Um, 30 different types. So that would be including things like whole grains, legumes, nuts, seeds, fruits and vegetables. So counting up what you're actually having, you need to have at least 30 different types of uh, veggies um, and plants or, or fruits, vegetables. But if you count them, think that's when it all comes down to diversity. Yeah mixing it up. And then really when we're actually looking at the amount of vegetables we should be having to really get the anti-inflammatory effects from vegetables, you're really looking about five to 600 grams of veggies per Mm. person every day. That's a lot of vegetables.
0: I felt food shame this morning before we uh, (laughs) we were recording. Peanut
1: butter butter toast.
0: Yeah. Yeah, Full fat, non-healthy peanut butter on white sourdough. Let us skim flat white.
2: I mean, you've got... There's you've some got peanuts, s- right? <laughs> you've got some iron and nutrients in there. Yeah, so, that's... again, it's about balanced moderation. And if you want your peanut butter on toast, and there's nothing wrong with that. You've yeah. got protein and carbs in there. The so. problem
0: is it's every day. That's the problem.
2: But then just try and up the veggies with yeah. it. Yeah,
0: peanut butter and parsnips on toast. That'd you do. Right.
1: <laughs> why not it could work so in terms of getting our fruits and vegetables trying to get them without the pesticides on them can be quite a challenge because I guess when we're living in a world where we're trying to feed so many millions of people it, it, unless you're growing your own vegetables it's really hard to mm. know What you're getting. It's
2: it's interesting when you look at countries that have the less disease and live the longest, and we're talking about, you know, the blue zones where it's been shown that these people are the healthiest and, and live, you know, to a ripe old age. These are people that are eating hardly, well, they don't eat processed food, they don't take vitamin supplements, they don't really need medication because they're all fit and healthy. But they do eat fresh produce and a lot of them grow their own food so they don't have any pesticides or um, you know most of the food is organic because they grow it themselves Mm. so it must be having some sort of effect but it's all about I guess living in the modern world as well I think where possible if you can afford it Go chemical-free or organic if you can afford it, but don't get obsessed with it. I mean, I'll buy organic where I can, but some things, if it's not available, then I'll buy regular fruit and veggies and wash them.
0: Yeah, wash it well, yeah.
2: I would say it's better to eat your fruit and veggies, even if they're non-organic, than not eat them at all.
1: And am I correct in that there are some fruits and vegetables that are more important for them to be organic than others because of, say, the skins of them, like oranges and things like that, might be maybe less susceptible to... Yeah,
2: so some fruits and vegetables mm. are more heavily sprayed. Yeah. So they're the ones... I mean, apples, for instance. I always try and buy organic apples because they're more heavily sprayed, berries as well. But when you're looking at things like oranges and bananas, they've got a really thick skin and you're going to peel that skin off. So I wouldn't worry about buying those organic because you're, you're not eating that skin. But yeah. anything that you're eating the skin, I'd be more conscious of, Um things like beans are quite heavily sprayed as well so there's actually a list that you can google and look up it's also in my my book the at nutritionist it's, it's called the dirty dozen and you can and it will tell you which are the more heavily sprayed fruits like a and Guy vegetables.
3: Film. that's right <laughs>
0: <laughs> um this is slightly off point but in the last five months as you know we've had a, a newborn and our diet's just been crap basically so we've been having lots of supplements vitamin supplements or vitamin if you're from the uk now what's the evidence for supplementing if you think your diet isn't quite you know on point and and you're trying to get your your goodness from tablets and powders i mean you know when i make up this drink i kind of look at and i think Mm. that does not look Mm. normal that does not look like a good way of supplementing
2: I, I think in twenty years time, and it's going to take about twenty years for people to realise that vitamin supplements are not natural. There's nothing no, natural about It's a powder um, made
0: in a factory with
2: it additives is and highly synthetic. Yeah. And they're in much stronger doses and they're isolated nutrients. So whenever we take a nutrient in isolation, it's going to knock out other nutrients. So really, vitamin supplementation, it's not something I believe in unless somebody has got a particular deficiency and there is a medical reason that they need to have this supplementation. But for someone to take a synthetic vitamin supplement to self-prescribe to boost and um, benefit their diet, yeah. my personal belief, and I think there'll be more studies to support this and it will probably come out more in 20 years' time, is that long-term you're going to be doing more harm than good. And that's because we're seeing more research now into the realm of nutrigenomics. And nutrigenomics really is nothing new. It's really the what these... Blue zones have been doing for years and living the longest and not needing medications and not getting sick. They are eating nutritious food that is natural, that is not processed. And we know that the nutrients in food are able to influence gene expression. Now, this is not the Isolated vitamin. It's thought to be the plant chemicals and the plant compounds that you get in the fresh food, particularly the plant based foods, that are not available in synthetic vitamins. So, this genetic expression, you know, we can influence hundreds of genes by eating the nutrients and the right nutrients and the plant compounds through food. It's not rocket science. I mean, obviously, every single nutrient we need is for a biochemical reaction to occur in the body. But if we think about it, you know, for gene expression to occur, we know that specific nutrients can act in the body. There's a, um, a process called NRF2 activation, which allows for the cells to basically cleanse themselves or, or basically it allows for autophagy to occur when the, the cells can basically work out what needs to be got rid of and cleared up so that the cell doesn't have to become damaged or go into apoptosis, which is cellular death. Um, it allows for um, down regulation of pulmonary pro-inflammatory pathways, and it allows for the cells to produce their own antioxidants, things like superoxide dismutase and glutathione, which are common skincare ingredients that we know are so good for the skin. But the body is able to to do this to protect itself from DNA damage and cellular aging. Now, if we take synthetic vitamins, and there have been studies to show that, you know, even something like a thousand milligrams of vitamin C, synthetic vitamin C, if you take that, then that can actually overrule this NRF2 activation because you're relying then on the synthetic vitamin and the body isn't having to work for itself. So it's like people that take zinc all the time, for instance, if you're taking a high dose zinc supplement, you are going to knock out other nutrients in the body. You can affect your copper levels, you can affect iron, and long-term zinc supplementation at high doses, you can actually lower your immune system, and people take it to boost their immune system. So there's always going to be a knock-on effect to taking an isolated nutrient, whether that be a vitamin, a mineral, or an amino acid. So for me, if you get your nutrients from food, they work synergistically together. You get them in the amount that Mother Nature prescribed and you're going to have beneficial effects for your body, for your body to work itself and for it to protect itself. When you take isolated nutrients, you can actually counteract that.
0: Yeah, it fascinates me. A lot of my clients, you know, go through the medical history and they're self-taking zinc, magnesium, collagen, vitamin A, vitamin E. um, Those are the main ones. And I'm like, wow, that's great that you're interested in your health and you're trying to maintain whatever it is, but... It seems so haphazard and unscientific and maybe a bit detrimental in some circumstances.
2: Absolutely. And even, you know, even high dose vitamin B12 supplements. Uh,
0: B12, a lot of injections going on around as well.
2: Well, and particularly with the IV B12, because it's in such mega doses, studies have shown that it can actually affect the microflora in the skin, the bacteria in the skin. And quite often you can get breakouts or rosacea flare-ups from these high-dose B12. So if you're treating an acne patient or someone that's got rosacea and they're taking these synthetic supplements, they can sometimes actually be aggravating these skin conditions and they yeah. actually think they're trying to help them. And to be honest, a lot of practitioners won't won't know this information because particularly nutritionists and naturopaths, they're trained really to prescribe synthetic vitamins because there's such a massive industry out there with the synthetic vitamin supplement uh, companies. So I think there's a lot of education that, that, is needed to be done and we really need to go back to basics and look mm. at diet and nutrition and how that affects all the biochemical pathways of the body rather than eat what you want and pop a, pop a synthetic vitamin pill. Yeah.
0: I mean it does seem weird that you'd have to go and buy tubs and tubs of powders and pills when you could just go and get five nice fruits.
1: <laughs> well, I think it's um, it perfectly dem- illustrates the, I guess, but as a society, we're looking for shortcuts with everything exactly. to make ourselves more efficient. So, you know, there's always a new app or a new program yep. or a new device in our car or whatever to make life easier and faster for us to do more. And this just seems like a, a function, like a continual, a continual, a continued trend, which is to do the same thing with our diet. We're too busy working, we've got kids, we've got that. You know, I'm just gonna go and grab this tub or this tablet to fix my problem. It's like we're trying to outsmart ourselves or outsmart like millions of years of evolution when really It's exactly you can't. what we're
2: doing. <laughs> we're we're trying exactly trying to outsmart ourselves. And I always say Look at the evidence. Okay, there may be new studies to show this ingredient does this and this does that. But look at the evidence. Look at the people that are the healthiest. Look at the human studies. Look at the people that are living the longest, that are the healthiest. And what are they doing?
3: Yeah.
2: And they're eating fresh food. Yeah, it's And they're active and they're keeping their minds busy and they've got this community and social interaction. And they're not just sitting in front of a, a computer and they're not just, you know, they're not moving. They're always moving because, you know, th- we now know that, you know, sitting is the new smoking. We need exercise to also stimulate this NRF2 activation for the body to be able to, um, heal itself if you like so if we're not exercising as well that's going to have a massive impact on our our cellular health and ultimately aging as well
1: yeah Mm. it's like seeing we're seeing the species evolve so quickly uh just through the pressures of everyday life Mm. and you even see it now people don't even feel comfortable having verbal conversations over the phone they'd rather text Mm. It's just, it's a trend that just sort of seems to permeate through every aspect of modern life in the Western culture. Yeah.
0: Every time Fiona comes on, I feel like I'm going to die earlier.
1: Stop <laughs> she it. tells me all the things I'm doing wrong. And, and you should know better because you're medically educated.
2: But it's, it's, it's really, I always say, it's about what you can add to your diet and yeah. your lifestyle. Um, just making little tweaks and changes and those habitual things that you do every day is not about shaming anyone and it's not about...
0: Sorry, Jack. I'm, joking. You know, <laughs> I'm there's, joking. There's really <laughs> nothing
2: wrong with having peanut butter on toast. Yeah. You know? yeah. It's and about I moderation, have, I right? I have peanut butter on toast. There, there's nothing wrong with that. It's not about um, having the perfect diet. It's just about increasing certain foods, you know, such as your plant-based foods to really help to support gut health, general health and well-being.
0: 100%. So, you define the gut microbiome, but tell us about the skin microbiome because that's kind of a newer concept for a lot of people.
2: Well, it is a new concept, but at the same time, it's not really. I mean... Years ago, when I trained in skin, we were always taught to maintain the pH of the skin and the acid mantle, and really, that's what we're doing when we're talking about maintaining the skin microbiome. Mm. But the skin really is covered in microorganisms and bacteria, and that bacteria is there to protect us. And depending on the acidity of the skin, depending on the amount of sebum or oil in the skin, or even, um, as I said, the the pH of the skin, it will depend on the different colonies of bacteria. So the bacteria will be different on different areas of the skin, e.g. from under the arms or in the belly button to on the face, Hmm. it's different. But we do know that certain skin conditions, particularly things like eczema or acne, have a change in that bacteria. So they may have more of the pathogenic bacteria. So application of things like probiotics may be beneficial in that instance. Now with skincare, what we're finding is that products now are being developed that contain, some say they contain probiotics. I would question that because you can't really bring out a skincare product with live bacteria. Yeah. Um, I don't see how that would pass um, a microbe test and the bacteria wouldn't be able to survive. So I think if you think you're buying a probiotic product, it's not going to have live bacteria in. Some companies are using um, what we call postbiotics. So basically, it's a probiotic fragment or a dead probiotic mm. that has still been shown to have an influence on the skin flora. So these postbiotics, if you like, are able to still communicate with the bacteria and may have a anti-inflammatory effect what we're also seeing is the inclusion of prebiotics in topical skincare so the use of things like oligosaccharides that are actually feeding the microbes in the skin to help the beneficial microbes flourish which is an area that i think is really exciting so it's about rebalancing the the microbiome because if you think about it certain skincare ingredients would actually be detrimental to the natural bacteria on our skin. Chemical peels, for instance, when we're taking the pH down to a really low level, you're going to be killing bacteria if you're using strong alcohol-based products if you're using skincare with antimicrobials in there particularly strong antimicrobials and my skincare does have antimicrobials in Mm. there it has to to kill the microbes Um, that's all going to be having an effect on our own skin microbiome
0: so it's sort of analogous to the antibiotics in the gut killing all the bacteria we're using topicals in our skin to kill the bacteria very
2: much so and so Again, even occlusive products as well, which are are really um, then allowing more the bacteria that survive in an anaerobic environment. They're going to be thriving as well. And that also explains why some skincare treatments and some topical products encourage breakouts in the skin. You know, you can get these crazy breakouts. Well, is that the actual ingredient or is that because we've disrupted the microbiome?
1: Mm. So yeah. it's,
2: it's quite interesting. So I like the idea of products that are sort of rebalancing the microbiome, particularly if you've had something like a strong chemical peel because that will obviously disrupt the microbiome. So it's interesting. There's so much more research that needs to be done and we don't know what some of these treatment. we don't know what laser's doing for instance. Um, I mean, we can get some really great results with it, but what is it doing to the microbes? We don't know. I don't know. I, I don't know. I don't have the answer to that. Ooh. But I think it's it's very interesting. The um, bacteria will recolonize as well um, because the acid mantle of the skin will come back very quickly if you use, say, an alkaline or a very acidic product because it has to because those bacteria need to flourish they're there to protect us and of course if we get an overgrowth of pathogenic bacteria that's when we can get really nasty skin infections and things like that as well.
1: Hmm. So what are you looking for when you're I guess trying to work out what skincare products might be best for you or like I guess anyone listening who'd go okay that all sounds great how do I know what to look for?
2: Look, I think everybody's skin is different and it reacts differently. I do think you actually don't have to do too much to the skin. Yeah, less is more kind of thing. I think less is more and... Quite often, you'll see people that have got sensitized skin, dry skin or breakouts because they're actually using too many products on the skin. The skin doesn't actually need that many products. You only need sort of, I would say about three products, maybe four. I think most of us have been conditioned to do too much and use too much. And as a result, the skin becomes imbalanced and then we, then we get breakouts. So going for more gentle ingredients, if There's a lot of long chemical names on the products and good idea that that might not be the best thing for the skin. Using strong things like parabens and um, antimicrobials, again, probably not the best thing for the skin. And remember, the skin is going to absorb traces of all these ingredients as well. So highly fragranced products are not going to be beneficial either. So try and stick to more gentle products. But again, we still want to be looking at things like the vitamin A's for cellular turnover. Um, We still need to be looking at SPF, but go, I would promote more of a a natural physical SPF over a a chemical sunscreen because the chemical sunscreens will be more irritating to the skin and create more free radical damage um, Mm. because of the nature of the way that they work on the skin.
1: So a chemical, physical blocker like zinc, do you mean? Yes. Yeah, okay.
0: Yeah, we had uh, Harry Arampitzis from Universe Skin on about six or seven episodes ago and he Mm. was such a great phrase. He said, we're all over-creamed and under-treated. yes. It was just summed it all up, didn't it? We
2: are over creams. We've
0: all got that cabinet at home with like a thousand things that we've bought from Duty Free and got free somewhere. And they're just, it's just nonsense. You know, we don't even know why we've got them anymore.
2: A lot of it is nonsense. You know, I've been in the skincare industry. It's actually for nearly 30 years. So I, and I've formulated products. I've, I've seen behind the scenes. I know what goes on. And a lot of these products that people charge a fortune for, I really just sort of water a few chemicals and some artificial fragrance. You yeah. know, a lot of these beauty products, they're really not going to do very much. And I think sometimes we put too much faith faith in topical skincare. Don't get me wrong, we can get some really great results with topical skincare, But you don't have to spend a fortune and it infuriates me, the companies that charge a fortune for skincare because I know what the manufacturing cost is. Um, And there's no way I would pay $300 for a pot of cream.
1: Yeah. Well, it's, it's the same thing with food. We're marketed to consume. Yeah. So we're eating too much food, too much supplementation, too many miracle creams. It's, as you said, it's maybe time to get back to basics and educate ourselves on what we really need to be doing and and I guess try and stay educated with new findings and, and I guess adapt as, as as best we can. But it seems like we're doing too much.
2: I think we're doing too much and you know I'm all about getting some good quality skincare and good quality ingredients and, and using things like niacinamide and retinaldehyde and you know some really good ingredients that will make a difference on the skin and they absolutely do. You know I've seen fabulous results but if we can combine that with healthy food and a healthy diet, then we're really going to start to see amazing results on the skin and not to overdo it. I mean, the biggest thing I see on people's skin is overexfoliation. People get addicted to microdermabrasion and
0: scrubbing, exfoliating. Why, why
2: are you just peeling back and peeling back and removing all of that beneficial protection that's naturally there on your skin and as a result they become dry, they become dehydrated and they get premature aging
0: It's such a good point, I see that, you know, I see people's skin up close all the time and I'm not a skin expert, I I don't claim to to be a skin therapist and I can pass them on to, you know, David's um, amazingly trained girls but People have got such dry, rough skin, particularly because of sun damage here in Australia. But when you ask them, oh, what's your sort of basic skincare regime? They'll go, wow, I scrub every day and I buy the, the highest glycolic peel. And, and you're like, but why? Look at your skin. It's like red raw.
2: I, I think there was this, trend on hydroxy acids and people have overdone it. They've got hydroxy acid cleansers, hydroxy acid exfoliants, hydroxy acid serums, hydroxy acid masks, and they'll go in for a chemical peel and they'll also have microderm um, microdermabrasion and they've just gone nuts. So I don't use exfoliants anymore. I don't feel my skin needs it now. And again, if it needs to pick me up, I'm, I might use something, but my skin doesn't, you know, I'm trying to sort of Plump my skin out I'm not trying to refine it back anymore it doesn't need it
0: I think people who have associated good skin with not being dirty and like getting all the grime out of their pores and sort of resurfacing their skin and that's just sort of begun you know, gone on overdrive but uh like you're saying that's probably the worst thing you can do you're just scraping off all those bacteria
2: yeah. I mean, some skin, you know, if it's say like an acne skin that's got a, a buildup of, of dead skin cells and we know that um, acne sufferers have a condition called retention hyperkeratosis where they retain more dead skin cells. And then when that gets into the follicle, of course, combining that with sebum and with acne, it tends to be that thicker, stickier sebum, we're going to start to see comedones and congestions, papules, and um, pustules. And in that case, exfoliation to help to refine the skin may be beneficial. So there is a place for it, absolutely, but not for everybody. Yeah. It's it's I don't think it has to be part of a everyday skincare routine.
1: Yeah. Well I think it's again it becomes almost a habit for people. Yeah. Like they get into this habitual routine of just more is more. And, and it's yeah And
2: less is best I I personally think when it comes to the, the skin. And of course Different skins are going to need different treatments and different products. But as a general, I would say most people over exfoliate. Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I'm starting to see a trend of people starting to make their own skincare with like foods. And that's kind of interesting to see people using things like, you know, tomatoes and honey and all these sorts of things as, as skincare. And it's, it's
2: it's actually interesting you say that. And I think coming from a professional skincare background and any skincare experts listening will probably go, Oh my God, you just cannot get those results by putting avocado on your face. And I would probably say, No, you need something a bit more intense. But then saying that, I was actually invited to try a food facial. And it was a skincare treatment by a beautiful girl that she will only use fresh food for her skin treatments. So there is no um, cleansers or toners or exfoliants. She makes it up all with food. And I have to admit, I was sceptical and I thought, oh, I'm just going to come out of sticky mess. It's not really going to do anything. But she cut up kiwi and used that to exfoliate, you know, the enzymes from the kiwi. Um, I think she used chocolate in there as well. And... It was a lovely facial.
0: Was it organic chocolate?
2: I don't know. Okay. I did have a little lick while it was on. That was the beauty of it. You could, when she went out the room, I could sort of lick my mouth and, and taste all the, the beautiful food. But I have to say, after the treatment, my skin was so hydrated. There was honey, Manuka honey that yeah. she used. My skin felt soft. It felt hydrated. It didn't feel irritated. My skin felt and looked amazing. So I was converted. I was like, wow, you really surprised me. I didn't realise you could get such great results. So, what was I, her
1: details? If anyone listening wants to,
2: um, I will have to double. Uh, okay. I'll, I'll have to double check. She was based in Roselle. Yeah. Um, and I, if you scroll on my Instagram, you'll see because there's a picture of me having the, yeah, I'm the food it facial. <laughs> we to do a um,
0: podcast with this girl
2: yeah? yeah, I can I can put you in touch. But yeah. It it my skin really really felt good, and I I was really surprised, and I think don't. Disregard anything until you've tried it because quite often in this industry in particular, I think we're like, well, you just can't get a good quality product unless you buy it from a professional and that's not necessarily true. Um, I hear people say all the time, professional skincare is more expensive because it's more active. No, professional skincare is more expensive because it has to go through a middleman and there's an extra markup to go onto the product. So let's not fool anybody here. Hmm. It's not more expensive to manufacture. So so there's a lot of um, I guess, beauty snobbery Hmm. that, that goes on. So I think we need to try products or find out about something before we put a judgment on it. And it's you know the food example is a it's a classic one. I my, my skin felt great.
1: I don't think people realize that a lot of these products are actually based on what naturally occurs in food, so like lactic acid and yep. all these things like there's all the vitamins they, yeah that they all come from food. So it makes sense to to go back to the source rather than, mm-hmm. you know, going around the world and paying a thousand times more than what we need to
2: exactly i mean you could argue that they then don't have the delivery systems or the penetration sure. enhancers but then do we really know how much they're getting into the skin anyway
1: mm, yep.
2: and how much of that is marketing mm, do we know
1: f- food for thought fiona
0: it's
3: food for thought <laughs>
0: yeah oh my God. Um, can we just pivot back quickly to how does food or the gut influence the skin? I mean, it sounds so logical, but a lot of people won't connect the two. Mm. So, for example, if you are eating a heavily processed diet, for example, how and why is that manifesting in potentially porous skin?
2: It's interesting because it actually goes both ways. We, we know that there's a gut-brain connection, but we now know there's a um, a gut-brain-skin connection as Mm. well. So our emotions not only um, can affect the gut and the gut can affect our emotions, but that can also affect the state of our skin. So we know when we stress, we can get flare ups and, and things like that. But also what happens topically on our skin can also affect the health of the gut. So if you've got a severe trauma or burn to the skin, that's creating a lot of inflammation That inflammation, although it's localised, it will be systemic and that in turn has been shown to have an effect on the cell integrity of the gut as well, which is quite interesting. So when we're eating processed food, for example, one that tends to be low in nutrients, so we're not getting the necessary nutrients that are required for the cell integrity for the enterocyte cells of the gut. And we're not getting the plant-based foods and the prebiotics to feed that healthy gut flora. Mm. We're not getting that fiber. And so as a result, we can start to see more inflammation occurring and we may start to see dysbiosis of the gut. That inflammation is going to have a knock-on effect on the linings of the cells of the gut. It can affect the immune system. And again, that's going to be affected or is going to have a systemic effect on the whole body. And as a result, we can start to see changes in the skin. It may be that the skin isn't getting the nutrients that it needs, so it's going to start to be devitalized. You may see dryness. Or it may be because we have got this inflammation and we may have increased gut permeability,
3: Hmm.
2: we may then start to see flare-ups in the skin. So it may be things such as... Rashes and breakouts, and even um, rosacea flare ups, things like that as well.
0: Yeah. Mm -hmm. Putting my doctor's hat on, my Western doctor's hat on, there's going to be a lot of doctors listening to this going, Why is the evidence? What do you mean inflammation? And, you know, my wife's a naturopath, so I totally get it. And there are a lot of functional doctors here in Sydney who practice exactly what you preach. But is there a, a good way of explaining to a doctor who maybe doesn't understand this, you know, where can they go to read about this? And, this oh, there's so many
2: studies on, on gut health now that they, they can easily pull those up on um, how, you know, I guess even just looking at things like prebiotics and how we need prebiotics for the production of short-chain fatty acids and they're actually going to help to reduce the inflammation. Yeah. Um, they're so, so important. So easily that information is, is easily found in there because the inflammation is coming because we haven't got the right balance of gut bacteria.
0: Yeah. I think what I'm saying is that Western doctors, including myself, were never trained in food, Really trained in skin, well-being. We just learn, you know, pill equals cure. And so there's this disconnect between what we, you know, traditional doctors learn and what the, the newest evidence actually shows.
2: It's, it's interesting and, I you know, I think doctors get a hard rap because doctors really are trained in medicine, right? Yes. That's, doctors are trained in medicine. So they are trained to prescribe medication for a disease or an illness. Yes. They are not trained holistically and they're not really trained too, too much as in preventative medicine. So when I trained in nutritional medicine, I'm trained to look at um, – Pathology work very differently to what a doctor would look for because I'm looking to see what may be out, um, what markers are are high, but not high enough to be unusual or abnormal. But what may be just a trend? Yeah, just looking at, oh, that's a little bit higher than. I would, I would like, I mean, I, I know doctors and they would say, well, I always check the zinc levels and the zinc levels are never out. And I said, well, that's weird because whenever I check, you know, the majority of people that I chat, their zinc levels are low. Mm. And that's because we're looking at different levels. So no, it's not low as in you are completely deficient, but it's low enough to be having an effect within the body.
3: Yes.
2: So I think, Even with nutritionists, as I was saying earlier, nutritionists really are trained, when I was training in nutrition, when we were in practice clinic, we were trained to see a patient then prescribe vitamins. So we might give a bit of diet advice, but in a way it's the same thing and and naturopaths are the same. I mean, I often used to see patients that would come to me and have been prescribed all of these pills and potions. By naturopaths, because
0: that's what you do.
2: Because that's what they're trained to do. So I think the whole system has to change to look at things holistically and to look at diet first. And then if somebody really is deficient or depleted, we may need supplementation or we may need medication. But we, I think we jump on these things way too quickly and we're not looking at, at the root cause and we're not looking first and foremost... At diet. And to be honest, all of this food, processed food is available to us. And people now have grown up with food that they think is food, but really it's not really food at all. But they're just used to having this breakfast cereal or even the vegan food that is coming out now that a lot of people think is healthy you know you've got fake cheese you've got this plant based milk that has got gums and sugars and emulsifiers in there that is all having a negative effect on the gut microbiome okay. so even health food that is marketed to us isn't healthy at all.
0: It comes in a packet made in a factory somewhere and it's not really what you'd recognise as food.
2: So it's so confusing. I mean, I, I bought a bread the other week and I was in a rush and I didn't, it looked healthy. I thought, oh, that, that's a good one. And it, it looked healthy bread. And I got it home and then thought, I'll oh, just check the ingredients and it had emulsifiers in it. And I was like, oh, really? And gums and...
0: What, what's an emulsifier and a gum used for?
2: Um, well, an emulsifier, well, gums are used to thicken yeah and there are some gums that are actually beneficial for the gut bacteria, so not all gums are are not beneficial but mm. but some um, may be not so good and they may uh, some studies suggest that they may be potentially inflammatory but it's sort of a bit of a gray area Emulsifiers um, things like polysorbate 80, for instance, are are used to sort of bind food. Hmm. There's um, skin whitening, skin whitening, sorry, food whitening um, ingredients. So a lot of foods, if you think of ice cream, mayonnaise, um, a lot of foods are actually have titanium dioxide added to whiten the product, which also will have an effect on the gut microbiome. So uh, multidextrin, for instance, um, is used as a filler. So anything that's powdered quite often will have multidextrin added to it to bulk it up. So it's, it's used as a cheap filling agent. Right. And again, this can have a negative effect on the gut bacteria.
0: So if, if you're a baker, why do you need to thicken bread and you just get some water some yeast some
2: not necessarily flour. thickening in bread but it would be an emulsifier um so if you get it fresh from the bakery it's i doubt that it would it would have that but when you're looking at things like fluffy white bread okay, and supermarket to, to, to make kind of yeah bread. the packaged supermarket breads most of them will have these um additives added to them that's crazy
1: Well, these companies, I mean, people talk about pharmaceutical being a big industry. I mean, let's not forget about food, which is probably the biggest industry in the world. I wouldn't even be able to count that high for the the amount of trillions it's probably worth, but I mean, they know exactly how to market to people. I mean, even someone like yourself who's highly educated got fooled by packaging. Mm. What's the average, what chance does the average person have of knowing what they're picking up? It's all
2: about marketing. It's all about the colors they use and, and the branding that they use so that you think it's healthy. I mean, a lot of those things will be called be healthy or Healthy company or, or whatever it is, and yeah. there's nothing healthy about it. And then there are other ones that are, are really good. So you've got to sort of weed them out and start to read the the labels. But I have been caught out a few times when I haven't actually stopped to read the ingredients, and then got it home and thought, "Damn, I've been fooled again." And yeah. it, it's really frustrating. So yeah, what it it is hard. Be, I did, um, I did television last night and on the show they were making some um, products from my book, some recipes from my book. And one of the, the girls, she's an amazing cook, and she said, oh, I've made this recipe, but did you now know that you can get sugar-free maple syrup? So I put the sugar-free maple what? syrup in the recipe. And you could <laughs> – I actually – there's a picture on my Instagram because I was just like, oh, Sugar-free maple syrup Uh, is basically just a load of chemicals with maple flavoring and artificial sweetener in there. It is just chemicals.
1: Just have
0: the sugar. It's basically (laughs) like saying I've got sugar-free sugar.
2: Um, And I was like, oh my God, but people think, oh, it's healthy because it's sugar-free and it is far from healthy. It is just full of, of chemicals. So what is being manufactured now? It's just chemical concoctions, and we think it's a healthier alternative. And I think going back to even if there's nothing wrong with a little bit of sugar, we need sugar, we we need carbohydrates, the skin needs carbohydrates, people don't realise that. Um, but it's about trying to have it as naturally as possible rather than all of these um, man-made synthetic chemicals, whether it be a synthetic chemical made into a vitamin or a synthetic chemical that's been put into our food, the more we have of it, it's not rocket science that it is not going to be beneficial for us in the long term. Now and again, fine, go for it. Eat what you want over Christmas and if you're at a party, but if you're doing it habitually every day, that's when it's going to have the negative impact.
1: Yeah. It's just about having a base understanding of what's good, what's not good, what to look out for, and then just trying to be sensible and have things in moderation if you are going as you said if you are going to go out don't beat yourself up because you've had a bad meal just get back on the horse the next day I
0: mean no, like it's exactly.
2: just exactly yeah. exactly right it's like um, when I
1: take my
0: daughter shopping you know put her in the trolley and we're wandering around looking for healthy little snacks for her and something says organic I don't know fruit bar and you think oh great and you read it and it's just full of sugar and crap and you're like that's just such terrible marketing. It's just
2: A lot preying of the on
0: the innocent. Organic
2: yeah. food can be really high in yeah. sugar.
1: Organic doesn't mean healthy, it just means it's organic. That's right. That's it. <laughs> I'm wondering what's gonna happen in twenty years' time when people realise how we've been poisoned by fast food and what's gonna <laughs> what's gonna happen like when the you know, these fast food companies that make burgers and chips and all these sort of things that people just live on. Um, we're going to think back, oh, my God, we were poisoning our people. We were poisoning people.
2: Mm. Well, even the diet trends as well. If you think of things like paleo, Mm. um, that was really... We're
1: obsessed with trends, aren't we? (sighs) Just obsessed with the next thing and then Everyone's
2: after some conspiracy theory and looking for the, the quick fix. But even with paleo, it was really about removing the whole grains and the legumes. Now, these are foods that, say, the Blue Zones thrive off, you know, and they're a main part of their diet. And they're prebiotic foods, so they're essential for gut microbiome health. They're they're so beneficial. Mm. And they produce different types of of bacteria. So it's important that we, we have them. There is no evidence to say that they are detrimental to our health. It's ludicrous to even promote that theory. And then promoting a lot of meat based products. And we know that high consumption of animal protein in particular can even produce toxic metabolites in the gut. So that for me was a a ludicrous diet that had no common sense behind it. And you can even see now that the paleo promoters are even sort of changing their stance a little bit and and slowly introducing more plant-based foods to try and sort of backtrack a little bit.
1: Well, when you think about how difficult, like when I guess when human beings were in a more when we we're in modern society, we had to go out and hunt and gather for ourselves. I mean, and before things like refrigeration, which is that sort of life is what our bodies probably were built for. We haven't really adapted much past mm. that, I guess, physiologically. But like, how hard is it to kill an animal with a spear or whatever it is? And you know, you're not going to be able to refrigerate it. People would probably feast on an animal, and that would be it for like a week or two. And in that in that interim, they're eating you know, grains, legumes, food, fruits, all mm. these sorts of things. It's like it, we don't have to get rid of meat products. It's just no. be more sensible about how much you're consuming. Exactly.
2: We, we live in a society of extremism. Um, even with intermittent fasting, which is really, really popular at the moment, the majority of people don't do it correctly anyway to get any health benefit from it. They think, well, if I, I don't eat for um, 12 hours, um, no, hang on. Fast, yeah. If I don't, sixteen
1: eight is a pretty popular yeah, one.
2: Yeah. Um, I'm just thinking fasting or eating the time mm, frame. No. Um, yeah, twelve or sixteen hours. That will then switch on this this process of autophagy when when the cells start to clean themselves out, if you like. But not necessarily, because what a lot of people will do is they will fast for anything between twelve to sixteen hours, um, and then they just eat what they want
1: binge yeah
2: <laughs> so I been guilty of that yeah. I think
1: guilty of that fasting and then just like and trying you, to and you yeah. won't but is that get, because you're starving um yeah so I've changed what I do now a little bit but yeah I've had to experiment with what works for me so but, yeah. this,
2: this process of autophagy I think it's 14 or 16 hours mm. that it, it kicks in but it will kick in if um it, it it won't kick in if you've been on a binge and you've really topped up your glycogen stores yeah Right. So there's a process, the the body will naturally fast when you are unwell or when you are sick. So you you don't want to eat so that your body can then go through this process of autophagy and um, clearing up cellular damage or potential cellular damage before it actually causes damage. But This is where people go wrong. They will fast and then they will binge on whatever they want and then boost up their glycogen stores so that when they think they're going into autophagy, they probably won't be going into autophagy so they won't be getting the benefits. Mm -hmm. I also, my personal belief is if you fast too much, then your body, um, you're creating the new normal for your body so you're not getting the autophagy. You've got to keep mixing it up. You've got to keep mixing it up. So, again, we do this extremism, and everyone's doing it, but they don't really understand why they're doing it or how Mm. they're doing it.
1: I found that after breaking my fast, I'd eat binge, and then I'd feel sick, and I'm like thinking to myself, that's probably very stressful on my body. So, now I'll have like a piece of fruit or something before I eat my meal that's breaking my fast. So, I'm not so. Famished, and I eat more sensibly. So I've had to make that adaptation to try and break my fast with a piece and, of and fruit first. And this is the
2: thing. I mean, there's been some really positive studies on intermittent fasting mm. as well when done correctly. Mm. So it's about using it in the right environment for the for the right reason. But we we hear a little bit of information, and we all we all run with it. And I do think when you are unwell, or when you when you need to, your body will naturally go into autophagy um, if you're in tune with your body because you, you, you think, oh, I'm not well, I won't eat. Or even exercise takes the body into autophagy. So, and that's why you feel cleansed after, after exercising and that's why we need to be moving. So it's about understanding why you're doing things and not following all these fad trends and not really understanding it because what you will find is two years down the track, there'll be a reason why it's not good for you anymore.
1: Yeah. Well, we've, um, gosh, time's flown so quickly when we talk with you, Fiona, it seems that we sit down and before we know it, we're almost at an hour's worth of discussion. So what we might do, if you're okay with this, is maybe wrap this up here and then actually do this as a, continue on with the second episode. So just before we, I guess, sign off, can you just remind people on how they can get in contact with you and just remind us about your podcast and your book and VitaSol? <laughs> so just give us the- All those things. Yeah, all the good well, things.
2: I'm available. You can contact me via my website, which is www- W? W? Did yeah, I say three, three? Ws.
1: I think,
2: yeah. Yep. Perfect. Um, and Instagram is FionaTartNutrition. Excellent.
1: Fantastic. And VitaSol?
2: And Vitasol, which is all natural, so we don't use any synthetic supplements, but it's a great way to boost your plant food intake in um, a drink, is vitas-sol.com.
1: Perfect. All right. We'll, we'll speak to you very soon. Thank, Thank you, you again.